and welcome to the 250, the podcast where bad news sells best. I'm Douglas, and with me as always is my co-host, Jonathan. How are you, Jonathan? I'm depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, what a strong opening. (laughs) If this is your first time tuning in to the 250, we have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020, and have begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, thoughts, and reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 228, Ace in the Hole. Charles Tatum is a shrewd newspaper journalist who's down on his luck. Starting again from a small-town newspaper, Charles is always on the lookout for his next big break to propel him back into the big leagues. After happening on a man trapped in a silver mine and his worried family, Charles sees an opportunity to make a story that will be a worldwide sensation. Ace in the Hole was directed by Billy Wilder, who is responsible for The Apartment and Some Like It Hot, as well as Sunset Boulevard. Uh, it was also written by Billy Wilder, Lesser Samuels, Walter Newman, and the original story by Victor Disney. Can we talk about those names for a second? Lesser Samuels. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a bigger Samuels. <laughs> yeah. All... Walter... I just love Walter Newman and Victor Disney. It's like, they were this close. You merged them together... <laughs> You got the big yeah. boy himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You smush those two fellas together and yeah, you got you got some magic. Uh, can we also talk about a uh, little bit of inside scoop on the 250, how we uh lifting the veil, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, Consider I like lifted. that you, you nearly screwed me over on the script here where you put down the number of the episode and not the number in which... <laughs> The film is on the list. Oops! So I had to quickly, quickly scoot back up as I was reading up the document to look at what number it was in the the list. But hey, oopsie doopsie. That's why they pay me the big bucks. I Uh, made this notes document last night. (laughs) Can you tell? Oh boy! Uh, Neither of us have watched this film before. No. Um, it is good. Okay, that's a strong sell. <laughs> I um I I uh had trouble with it because it was it tells a very good metaphor. It was produced really well. The videography is really really good. It's probably the best one yeah, out of like yeah, this totally. period that we've seen before. Mm. But fucking hell, it's depressing. Yes, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't want to read too much into it, but it doesn't uh, like you know we're in pre-spoilers or everything. But it's a bit, it's a bit glum. It's um, it's kind yeah, of like if you're after a, a cheery kind of fifties film, mm. this is not, this isn't your go. <laughs> Seek elsewhere. Yes, exactly. Don't don't look at this. So so yeah, this is um, the film is basically just a big. It's on one hand a big metaphor about how the media can twist things basically for their own gain to. Mm to attract viewers to sell newspapers blah 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 whatever it is in day and age but it's also semi-based off of a real situation where the same sort of thing happened yeah um yeah uh, uh, not based off of it inspired by it mm. and and I, I i can think of two or three times where someone's or a group of people have gotten trapped in some kind of mine and it's a big 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 story in the it's front, front of the newspapers every day type deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a check-in on you know how they're going down in the the wherever it is. It's a, it's very astonishing to see how more than half a century later this shit still holds up. <laughs> you know, the news is still doing 
same type of stuff. You know same what I mean? Same exact like, situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing how much we evolve and how little we evolve. Mm, mm. For yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, like I mentioned, the filmography, the the visuals are actually really, really clever. There was a lot of yeah. really Great. nice shots, a lot of fun. Which I guess I'll get into a bit after spoilers, after the spoiler break. But there's some like yeah, like cool transitions, cool like just moving through the scene in fun ways, creative uh, spots to put the camera as well, just mm. uh, angles and things like that that you don't see too often for these for this period of film. I think from what we've seen so far, it was doing stuff where I was like, whoa, like you would be able to do that in films nowadays, and you know that looks fine, you know, like that's yeah, this holds up in uh, this film holds up in every sense of the word for me the only thing that is dated is its setting and that's it mm. and the fact that it's in black and white yes comparing it to our last our last film white heat uh was 1949 this is 1951 so you can make a pretty direct comparison in like you can kind of put away the you know, the limitations they may have had there um and mm. it did a fucking comparatively not to shit on white heat but this is a million times better in terms of that. Um, yeah. yeah, the I would agree. the characters as well, specifically Charles and um, Lorraine. Charles, especially, mm. I was just like, you mean oh. Chuck? Yes, his name is technically Charles, <laughs> but no one calls him that. Um, is yeah. just insanely charismatic, and it like just pulled me in immediately. It was really really mm. good. The film was paced really well as well. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it really, really... Um, it cracks along. Mm. There's nothing... Nothing really seems wasted. Mm. There's, you know, no long meandering things. Everything is either building the story or it's building a character. Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, it tends to do all of these scenes in kind of a fun, interesting visual way, which kind of really yep. pulled me in. Keeps everything, yeah... Uh, chipping along at a rather brisk pace mm. uh yeah absolutely uh and yeah massive credit to lead actor kirk douglas who just fucking uh, from what i can see in his discography ace in the hole was kind of what made him okay by the by the looks of it this was a uh, very early on in his career before he did um spartacus before he did uh lost for life where he was vincent van gogh um yeah this was like his uh his kickstart basically hmm, yeah he was extremely prolific i did not realize yeah. it was one of his first ones but you look at it and that seems like you're onto something yeah he's had a good career um mm. and uh he also only passed away this year yeah passed away in february of this year uh at 103 Jeez. he cracked that century that's a fucking good inning damn baby <laughs> um uh so yeah i Gen- genuinely he's a fantastic actor and i love what he brings to the plate in this film from an actor's standpoint uh i'm always fascinated by characters that are you don't like them you know what i mean yeah. like you're not really i don't want to go yet too uh in depth in this uh, pre-spoiler but you're not going to be rooting for really anyone except for uh, the man who is stuck. The, the <laughs> victims of this situation. Yeah. You're, mm. Yeah. You feel very bad Your for heart them, goes out to, but the where the film centres itself, it's you're not, not... on those people. 
yeah, your uh, your good vibes are not going to be sent mm-hmm. towards. When it comes them. down to it, this is a film about a bunch of assholes. <laughs> yep. All climbing and stepping over one another for fucking greed and fame yeah. and power. Mm. So, would you recommend that a average viewer watches this film, Douglas? Yep, definitely. I think this is a very important film for uh, just uh, the 50s history, um, or just, you know, film history. Um, and just, yeah, the fact that it still holds true, I think, is testament to longevity of the film and the uh, how brilliantly it's crafted and, yeah, also just a <laughs> testament to the world as it is today, I suppose. Mm. So, mm. Um, yeah, I think it's a very important film. So, yeah, I would highly recommend going to check it out. I would recommend it as well, as long as you but are make aware. sure that you have a little, um, uh, little dessert afterwards just yes. to... Well, something to pep yourself up. Something Maybe go watch a Ghibli up, yeah. or something to, to just, uh, you know, uh, keep you keep you perking and keep you happy. Watch uh, the marvelous Miss Marple. It's good, it's good, good positive. That's what I did, and I did the trick. Oh, really? Good show. Go. Yeah, I watched um Ponyo. <laughs> that is good. I wait. You watched another movie after this? I watched. Movie? I watched like I watched the beginning of Ponyo. Okay. Because, okay. I, yeah, I was pretty bummed out after I ate some hole. And <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I need something just to kind of keep me going. So then, I, yeah, I watched some upon you and that, that got me good. So a bit a bit more fourth wall breaking. Both of us are uh, mm. pretty... We both have a lot of work on at the moment. There's a lot going on. So we mm. both watched this in one six-hour batch. And I thought Douglas pulled an eight-hour batch because he put Ponyo in the middle. <laughs> Thank God he didn't. <laughs> no, it was only that Ponyo only on about half an hour. I just I didn't want to jump straight into the next movie, still riding my depression from this movie. That's not okay. Hang on, let's okay. Wind back a little bit. This film will probably make you depressed, but that shouldn't distract you from watching the film. It's still very important. Yes, uh, and I think that uh, while. Uh, we say that it is depressing don't go into it with that mindset you no. know what i mean like just don't, don't go into just, it if you're if you're in a bad mood probably then don't you watch shouldn't watch it because <laughs> yeah. it will make you yeah. feel worse yeah. but yeah it is still very very if you're good. open-minded and you're kind of yeah you're in a good place <laughs> mentally and uh, <laughs> things are all okay uh, go watch this film. Yep. No one will proceed to watch this film because who in their fucking right mind is in a good mental place with where the world is at right now? <gasps> with that said, let's go. Oh, well, here's, here's the upside. It means that you don't have to watch the film and you can just keep listening to the podcast. So there's True. that. Yeah, True. so that's a positive. Yeah. Um. Uh. Holy shit. Fucking Chuck Tatum is the most charismatic character I've ever seen in a film. That, you like, fucking son of a bitch, we haven't done the spoiler horn yet. Oh no! Oops. Now Okay. <laughs> Holy shit, Chuck Tatum is the most charismatic figure I've ever <laughs> seen in the film. <laughs> I did well, fuck it. Yeah, you just you just spoiled that for someone. Good effort. Yeah. So I've I've spoiled the first fucking three minutes of the film for them mm-hmm. where he's very mm-hmm. charismatic. Oh, okay. Actually, hang on. Well, we're talking about the opening and we're talking about Chuck Tatum as a character. Was that some crazy legism at the beginning of the the film where he walks in and he's like, "How?" to the I don't know. Was that lazy racism? 
Or maybe that was just the done thing with like Native Americans back then. Uh, but like that seems stereotypical and racist. I don't, I don't know. know. I wrote that down. I was like, that just that just seemed like I was like, okay, dickhead. <laughs> I you know, I look. <laughs> it's not my place to say whether it's whether it's yeah, racist true. or not. Yeah, it's yeah, their yeah. place. Mm. So I mm. we are not of that minority. But this was this was seventy years ago. So true. Fuck knows also what true. The done thing yeah. was different period. But yeah, the, the the film opens fucking amazingly with him just mm. like sitting in the back of his busted up car. I think he's got his feet up. He's reading a newspaper, newspaper and he's like, yeah. "Oh, let me out here." He's like, "Oh, I think he just goes to like the the tow driver and he's like, "Oh, just just wait here for a second. And yeah. then he just like walks in and like gets a job at this um, Albuquerque Sun Bulletin at this newspaper, which I I loved every part of the opening. But you've got the whole lots of great moments. Him kind of it. almost almost like like kind of swanning around the room and like talking to people and and like it it. it I bet that sounds awful because I've just been like waving my hands around like I'm actually swimming. yeah and swinging um, your head around the microphone <laughs> uh, <laughs> professionalism uh huh and they're doing that thing where he'll come in and like I think I feel like you expect when someone like leans into your desk anyone at their desk would kind of lean back but in like mm. a stage play kind of thing they they like lean into it to kind yeah. of like mm. bring the energy and that's what they do there it was it was just delightful and he's kind of like fluffing on about how good of a journalist he is and um there's that great shot of just like like i was saying with creative shot they've just kind of got like these like nice smooth walkthrough shots and there's right at the start when he walks in the camera is put in what i assume is like the secretary's desk or something the reception as it were and yep. um and it's kind of following him around and then it follows him through the window as he kind of wanders in which was um you know much more creative than stuff we have seen in our yeah. previous 50s film mm, um mm. and he's like you got him like lighting the match with the typewriter the typewriter and- that shit was so cool like that was when i was like okay Chuck, ah, I like this let's guy. go <laughs> and the character of oh i don't have him written down um booth the yeah yes mr booth the, the leader of the yeah the albuquerque sun bulletin i love the the belt and suspenders because yep. that is uh something that is tried and true in the performance business is that sometimes you will be given costumes as a dancer or as an actor mm. where you have to wear both a belt and suspenders and that always pisses me off because as chuck tatum points out in the film you're a very paranoid man, careful man, <laughs> if you're wearing both a belt and suspenders. <laughs> Which and I I love that as just like, just instantly characterize this guy. Absolutely, like- yeah. But then cut to the next scene where Chuck is walking around, swanning about the office in a belt and suspenders. <laughs> is he? Oh, I didn't notice yes. that. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was funny. He's just like, his charisma drives so much of the film and that was like something that wasn't really as present in uh, White Heat mm. with him kind of being, you know, like like a similar kind of... Anti-hero is the wrong word. But like, I guess, is that is that the definition of an anti-hero? Mm, nah. No. Because there's still some redeeming qualities. I don't think Chuck has any redeeming qualities, really. Not really. Um, even towards the end of the film where he, you know, he has that realisation and, you know, he has his kind of comeuppance as uh, a big spoiler alert, the guy <laughs> in the mine dies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he has that uh, kind of epiphany moment where he realises his wrongdoings and 
you know, almost begs for forgiveness and subsequently dies. Yeah, I still, I still think even then that he's still detestable. You know, it's too late for him to be trying to ask for forgiveness yeah. when the deed is already done. Yeah. Uh, so even at that point, you know, where he's scrambling and trying to get people to report on the fact that he was keeping him down there for five, six days and let him die, I still wasn't... I didn't forgive him. I was no. like, no, nah, you're still a twat. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's it's... Which I don't think is what the film was trying to do anyway. I don't think the film was trying to go like, you know, forgive Chuck, he's a good guy. I think it was you know, genuinely him in his dying moments trying to scramble for some shred of decency and human dignity. But trying to trying to right the wrong but not necessarily yeah. like attain forgiveness for it, I guess. Yeah, I guess. yeah. He st- he still did it. Yeah. And he's willing to admit that he did it. But yeah, it's it's his reporter brain almost wants to push that out there as you know the next big scoop you know that he uh basically murdered Leo, yeah uh down in the mines um as he says he says that he murdered him yeah oh, does he up on the mm. up on the cliff no 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 uh when he's calling up nagel in new york uh, and he okay. goes uh, oh big yeah scoop, reporter murdering uh you know guy who's stuck in mines Mm. He was he was murdered. That's right. He didn't die. He was murdered. God, which is just like yeah. That whole last scene is like, or like last section is like so chaotic and just like mm. stressful. Mm. It just hurts seeing him, you yeah. know, scrambling and kind of just yeah, he's dying and just no one is listening to him because they're all like you know oh you're drunk you know he was he had his five minutes of fame and then once he'd Mm. gone and spilled the beans to everyone and all the other reporters pounced on it you know it uh he became yesterday's news i i like that bit near the end where he's like lying on the bed and the three reporters are in there and they're like hassling Mm. him and stuff it Mm. almost Mm. felt like it felt almost like a, like a Greek tragedy or something where mm. you've got like these characters that are like, you've done bad, you're, you've yeah. fucked up. Just mm. like harassing them for no reason. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, not for no reason, but. Mm. And then and then that ending, which is like, we, we've complained about sudden cut endings on films like this before, but this one actually felt really good. Where yeah, totally. Mm. He just like falls over dead and then it cuts. Yeah. Um, and it seemed I guess more poignant. I guess. Yeah, I I got chills at the ending. It's mm. uh, I got like a a big kind of like whoa, yeah. um, because yeah, it's it's powerful. You know, uh, mm. him just d- dropping dead like that's obviously perfectly choreographed to have the camera and him falling like you know, square in front of it. The lighting, oh yeah. yeah, his face shadowed. It's uh, yeah, all perfectly orchestrated. Uh, but yeah, I um. Yeah, I genuinely dig the ending a lot because I feel like if you went any further than that and you had maybe the... I don't think... Do you think Mr. Booth would have reported on what he was saying? Do you think they would have pushed the the reporter murdering Leo? Yeah, no, I think Mr. Booth would completely wash his hands of it. Absolutely, and be like, I, I think so too. That's not, that's not his character. Because he detests him and he wouldn't want to... Mr. Booth wouldn't want to give him, even in his death any more high profiling you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. wouldn't want to yeah. make him uh a 
uh, because I can't think of anyone else, an Aaron Burr to an Alexander Hamilton. You know what I mean? <laughs> there are people in history who are renowned for killing high-profile figures, yeah. uh, such as um, John Wilkes Booth. You mm. know, uh, he's renowned because he killed someone famous. Uh, Leo got famous because he was stuck down there. And then if they reported on Chuck Tatum killing, uh, quote-unquote, Leo, then that would shoot him up to that level of John Wilkes Booth fame. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. I think they would have mm. would have kept hush. Um, I, I... We've already talked about the visuals, but I, I liked a lot of the stuff that they did in, like, the caves. Well, I guess mm. the mines... Yeah, I thought they were caves the whole time, but they were actually like a, an old silver mine that they found mm. Native American relics in, I think. Mm. Um, and they did a really good job of make, making that look very cramped and gross, especially with the um, the hole that Leo is stuck in. Yeah, yeah, that hole is designed really, really well. <clears throat> um, where it's like they've just got these just nasty close-up shots on Leo being trapped in mm. there. And like poking, in dirt. poking their head through this little triangle-shaped hole mm. that you can that's like basically all you can see. Um, fucking hell, that's depressing. Yeah, and the camera often puts you on Leo's side of the rocks. Mm. So you see their face poking through the hole and just Leo lying there. And it kind of it puts you as the audience in there with Leo. And yeah, that's a very uncomfortable sensation too. It's extreme. Imagine yourself being in that situation. It's oh. um yeah, yeah. It, it it makes you kind of your skin crawl. Especially like the progression of Leo getting like sicker and sicker as he's just like yep. I assume the issue is he's just like breathing nonstop dust and Yeah. And he's got like his shirt off and he's like slowly going insane from the, oh, the from drill, the drill yeah. pounding away above of him, yeah. <sighs> That non-stop sound. If you listen to that for six days straight with no sleep, you can't move your legs. You're not allowed to move from this one position. All you can do is smoke cigars and drink coffee or whatever it is that people bring you from the outside. I would probably go pretty batshit too. (laughs) You know what? You might be onto something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Along with, yeah, all the other sicknesses that he would get uh while down there um on a a different character note herbie yep his fucking hair <laughs> oh. when he's sitting in the car and they're like first driving off to like the rattlesnake hunt or whatever mm-hmm. his hair is slick as a fucking like the quiff perfectly like parted and everything it's all like hairsprayed so neatly oh i love it so good it is. It is very. Um, he's he's this kind of innocent looking character, mm. which which is, and he looks. He's supposed to, I assume, be early twenties. Yeah, because he's got so. this deep fucking voice. And then Chuck also says, you know, when um, uh, Mister Booth is like, you know, come on, Herbie, we're going home. And then Chuck says, you know, he's old enough to make his own decisions. Right. Um, make up his own. Make up his own damn mind. Yeah, that puts through to me that he's probably, yeah, early 20s, mid 20s. Mm. But maybe he's like me. He's got baby face. <laughs> he has intense baby face. He lo- he makes you look like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely, especially like the shot of him like in the in the car where he's like just got a, like when he's just got a blank expression, he just he he looks like he's 16. Yeah. It freaked yeah. me the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, and he's uh 
He's just he's along for the ride. <laughs> Which I assume is like part of the metaphor of like this um larger than life character kind of like sweeping up things that are like pure and, and good and kind yeah. of corrupting. Uh, corrupt corrupt that's exactly what I was looking for, corrupting them. Mm-hmm. Because like like you don't know how to think about him at the end. Mm. He mm. he just seems like kind of young and impressionable and he was kind of like taken up by Chuck and his words. That is, say say what you will about Chuck. He is like he is a wordsmith. You know, mm. he writes all of these reports and everything, and he paints this picture to the public. And the reason that he becomes as famous and as you know eccentric as he is is because he's a fantastic wordsmith, and he mm. comes up with all of the key words and phrases and everything that hit right at the public's heart. You know, like the general public, and. Yeah, if you had if you'd swapped Tatum with Herbie and you had Herbie's character in charge of the story, probably wouldn't have had such a big send off as much as it would if you had Tatum at the helm typing up the report and sending it off. Mm. Because Tatum has Tatum's character has this, you know, eleven, you know, different fucking companies that he's been fired from and you know, he's had this history of he's good at what he does, but he's a detestable piece of shit. Yeah. Um which in the business, you meet a lot of those kinds of people. They are incredibly good at what they do, insanely talented, but they know it, you know? And they are yeah. so egotistic and in their own head that they they wear their, uh, you know, the things of him being fired. He sounds like he wears that as a badge, Mm. He openly tells uh, Booth about, you know, I got fired because, you know, I slept with the the, editor, the, mate, the head editor's bloody wife and then I got drunk on the job. And, you know, he talks about all this stuff like it's fucking, like he's got the medals on his bloody chest, you know? Yeah. I love and hate Tatum as a character, which is, for me, the perfect point to have a fictional character at mm. is mm. to have that that perfect balance of hate and love. For, um, a, for a film you want to think about a bit, it's a good, mm. it's a good yep. move. Totally. And then you've kind of got... Um, I guess the sheriff mm. wasn't flat, but he had less going on. Mm. Mm. Probably just out to make a picture of, like, corrupt cops, which... Yeah, you know, yeah, corrupt enough. cops. He is, you know, toying with this little baby rattlesnake and, like, giving it bubble gum. Yeah. Chewing gum to eat. Mm. It's really weird. And, like, just making up these bullshit excuses to the other reporters to stop them from going into the mines and stuff like that. But there's not as much going on with him. Mm. Well, he's a very integral character because if Chuck didn't have the sheriff on site, then he wouldn't be able to get away with half of the shit that he does. Exactly. Uh, he needs, Mechanically, he's important. Yeah, he needs the sheriff on site to be able to tell uh, the miner Smollett uh, and his crew to, you know, to assemble the drill and to keep them hush-hush about how they could actually get him out in about... 16 hours if they wanted to yeah about half a day but they ex- yeah. they decide to extend it out and just milk it that's mm. that's actually if i if there was a phrase that i could have for this film it would be milk it <laughs> milking it 100 percent. everyone uh, is milking it everyone is milking that fucking dead horse for all it's worth the uh the media circus as it were yeah yeah very good metaphor i love that metaphor where it's literally a circus shows mm. up yeah, yeah. Where they're just like, do you get it? Do you get yeah. it yet? Yeah. <laughs> do you <Yeah>. understand? 
and your other kind of character, your other, you know, your like trio of douchebag characters is Lorraine. Mm, rounding out the trio. <laughs> rounding out the trio, who does get more flavor to her. And mm. she's, she like wants to have like Chuck take her away. Which I don't know if that was, like, supposed to be a legitimate romantic thing, but it felt more like she was just trying to kind of take further advantage of the situation. I think it was Chuck is in the right place at the right time. You know, handsome guy. Uh, He's, you know, got a quick mouth. He's uh, helping Lorraine to make all of this money because all Lorraine really wants to do... Her objective is getting the fuck out of Escadero. And away from uh, her husband, who she obviously no longer loves. Um, And, uh, yeah, it seems like right place, right time for Chuck. Mm. But Chuck, he... Yeah, I'm... Their relationship is weird. And I'm still... I would like to think on it a little bit more from, like, a, a writing and an acting standpoint into how they interact. Because it's... Uh... It's an abusive relationship, most definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in that they're both utilizing uh, Lorraine's husband for their own financial gain and both betraying this story of, you know, oh, I'm, you know, this upset wife because my husband is stuck in the mine, but really I'm just fucking ecstatic that I'm making all of this money off of him <laughs> so I can fuck off with it as soon as all of this is over. Mm. Yeah, she gets so wrapped up in all of the... The press and, you know, the money and the wealth and everything that by the time it rolls around to their anniversary and uh, Chuck hears from Leo about, you know, just how completely infatuated Leo is with Lorraine and Leo having that present for Lorraine Mm. and going, Mm. you know, give her her the present, give her the present. And then Chuck going like, no, you fucking wear this present. Like that's that for me kind of feels like the turning point for Chuck. In yep. that he's starting to begin to catch on to how fucked this is getting. Yeah, how, um, how fucked he's made the situation. How out of hand it's getting. Um, mm. he, he's, he's, he's got a very important line to Herbie that he says that's like... Um, uh, Herbie goes, you know, oh, you're not wishing for, like, you know, for him to be stuck down there for longer. And then uh, Chuck replies with something along the lines of, you know, I'm, I don't wish for anything. I just report on what happens. Right. He, you know, makes things happen, but he probably doesn't wish for it to happen. You know, like in his mind, his constitution is telling him, you know, I don't want this. I don't wish for this to happen to him, but I want it to happen so that then I can right. receive monetary gain. Yeah. Um, it's like the, um, it's sort of like the whole, uh, if there's no news, I'll bite a dog. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yep. To, to, to a similar degree, he's like, mm. I'm going to make news out of out of what could be a pretty minor story. Yeah. A yeah. less than one day turnaround. Minor? <laughs> ha! <laughs> the, the minor story becomes a major story, as Aye! it were. Hey, hey. We've got plenty of them. Stay around, <laughs> folks. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I loved the um, the human interest. Yes, human interest. Speech as well, where he's talking mm. about the... People, people remember one, one person better than they do eighty four. That's the that's yeah. the harder hitting. Yep. Um, yep. So, which which is kind of like it's it's so weird to look at it from like a societal perspective where you're like mm. these people have this thing that they feel like they can 
you know, take part in because a lot of people feel kind of like there's nothing really they can do yeah, to like make the world us. a better place. Mm. But then again, a lot of these people are just kind of here for like the spectacle of it. So it's been reported in the press and it's, you know, become something larger than life. And to be able to say that, you know, uh, you were around when Leo Minoso was stuck in the mine, you know, mm. it's a, it becomes a, a coffee table talking point, uh, mm. which is a, a sad aspect of life, really. <laughs> the wife going like talking about how they were the first ones to be there. Yeah, yeah, uh, that whole like, scene is she's yeah. like ah, a man is dying. <laughs> yeah, mm, mm-hmm. you got it. Your mind constantly loops back to yeah, what it's all about and how fucking grim and bleak it is in there for for Leo. And then you get the contrasting things of um, Tatum basically choking out yeah. the rain on the bed with the the fur that um leo bought for her and then her stabbing him and then him walking back outside and there's all this carnival music and all this you know really amped up hyped you know really bubbly music playing yeah. after that literal domestic abuse fucking scene it gives that really wild juxtaposition that just it gave me this really cold yeah. feeling yeah. Yeah, very stern, which is I can only assume what they were trying to get across is that having that juxtaposition of those two feelings, you know, you have those that two vibes. Mm, mm, the the stoic stern, rather aggressive and disturbing abuse and then when that's over, right back into the carnival, you know, you're right back amongst yeah. it all. Right um, back into the media circus. Mhm. Can't escape it. Can't get away. <laughs> So, Douglas. Yes, Jonathan. Do you have any trivia for the boys and girls at home? I do. Uh, we're both smiling because we both just cut a fucking... <laughs> <laughs> probably like five minutes of us just both sitting here going, do we have anything else to talk about? I don't think we have anything else to talk about. Perhaps the trivia will spare us on for some further discussion. <clears throat> perhaps. Perhaps, 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 perhaps. Actor Victor Desney brought a lawsuit against this film while the script was being written. He claimed the film was an unauthorised version of the Floyd Collins story. Collins was actually stuck in a cave years earlier, as mentioned in the film. Right. Since Desney owned the rights to the Collins story, he claimed copyright infringement. Desney prevailed, although Wilder appealed. The California Supreme Court ruled in Desney's favour. Wilder's attorney settled paying Desney $14,350. That is, like, literally... The point of the film where it's like a story, a, an event that happened becomes someone's property. Yeah. That's so fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, they can uh, like su- sue people for. $14,350 probably uh, in flight. in the 50s. To, yeah. A fair bit Not of money. A small amount in, of money. In current standards. But yeah, I agree. It's fucked. It's the, ex- um, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's what the film is, yeah, harping on about. The irony of it all. Ah, the irony. In a 1950 memo to Billy Wilder, Kirk Douglas objected to several aspects of Chuck Tatum's monologue about missing New York City. Quote, no pastrami, no garlic pickles, no Madison Square Garden, no Yogi Berra, among other things. Douglas asked, quote, what the hell is a Yogi Berra? (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Douglas's secretary, who was amused her boss didn't know who the New York Yankee star was, told him he was a catcher. Which, uh, even I knew what a Yogi Berra was, but I'm guessing that's purely because of films like this and, uh, you know, the Yogi cartoon and 
yeah. uh, everything else Yogi Berra. Um, I kind of caught on to who Yogi Berra was at a reasonably young age, actually, I'm pretty sure. Um, I had no idea. I remember being, yeah, curious about Yogi Berra from something or other, and I looked him up and I was like, oh, baseball. Um, did you not know who Yogi Berra was? Not the first idea. Oh, well, there you go. But yeah, mm. Yogi Berra was um, Yogi Bear, you know. Yeah. The the cartoon Yogi Bear was uh, based off of Yogi Berra. So, Interesting. There you go. Or at least Yogi Berra's likeness. Yep. Residents of Gallup, New Mexico were hired as extras. They were paid 75 cents an hour for a 10-hour day. Extras earned an additional $3 if they could bring an automobile to the set. Ah. Which is a clever, bloody idea. Just going around to the local area and hiring extras from there. And then, yeah, paying extra for people who can bring their cars out. Because cars were probably a um, bit of a premium in the 1950s. Potentially, yeah. Uh, so, especially in a Gallup, New Mexico. <laughs> so, uh, they have that, the shot from the top of the cliff where... A couple of shots from the top of the cliff where they're looking mm. down on the, the carnival and the circus and everything. And there are a reasonable amount of cars there, you know, like for the 1950s. They're there's like a reasonable. Mm, mm, there's a reasonable parking lot. I don't think cars were lot. like that uncommon in the 50s. They were just like. But like, I'm, I'm just thinking in like Gallup, New Mexico. You know what I mean? Um, the, the film talks about how, you know, people from New York, California, um, you know, people have come flocked from all over the, uh, the country right. to come to, to see, uh, um, Leo stuck down in the mine, but I'm assuming they only would have been able to get cars from people in Gallup, New Mexico. They probably so, weren't bringing in people from New York and California for uh, it. Yes. Yeah. I think you're yeah. onto something. <laughs> I think, yeah. Uh, Kirk Douglas was borrowed by Paramount from Warner Brothers and was paid a fee of $150,000 for his portrayal. Jeez. Back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, big money. Was, Kirk was making that, making that dosh. That's big money now. Looking like a million. Yeah, yeah. It's big, big money now. I'll take 150 grand. Yeah, fuck it. Let me out. Feel? <laughs> I'll take 150 Sorry. grand to have some dirt on my face. <laughs> Uh, when the film was released, it got bad reviews and lost money. The studio, without Billy Wilder's permission, changed the title to The Big Carnival to increase the box office take of the film. It didn't work. <laughs> On top of that, Wilder's next picture, Starlig 17 in 1953, was a hit, and he expected a share of the picture's profits. Paramount accountants told him that since this picture lost money, the money it lost would be subtracted from the profits of Starlig oh. 17. Oh my god. How fucked is that? What a bunch of douchebags. Fuck fuck off Paramount accountants in 1950s. <laughs> um, big assholes. This went into uh, production immediately following one of Wilder's biggest successes, his Oscar-winning box office hit, Sunset Boulevard, which is now considered a classic. As a result, Wider was given unprecedented creative control, serving as one of the film's writers, its director, and the producer. He was also granted a percentage of its expected profits, which, when the film proved not to be excess, a success, never materialised. Ah, wonderful. So, mm, poor Billy Wilder didn't get as uh, big a payout as he probably should have. But uh, we'll be seeing more of Billy Wilder on the 250 when he, probably about two or three years later, when he drops in at number 66 with Sunset Boulevard. So, is some like a hot on the list as well? I'm not sure. Let me do a, a quick little 
uh, a little squeezy squeeze. A little bit of a vamp. I um I found it interesting. It is um, one hundred thirty-one. One thirty-one. I um you 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 reminded me when you were talking about the extras the um mm-hmm. the Indian like locals the Native American locals that uh did not get the like screen time I felt like they deserved they yeah. basically like poked their heads in once or twice to go like this is not a good idea when, and yeah, yeah. that that was about it I would have yeah. liked to see more of them I think that could have mm. um that could have brought it talked about more. them but yeah it didn't really give. Uh, actual Native Americans, a lot of screen time. Yeah. Bummer. Mm. They, yeah. There's a lot of words about them, but nothing, yeah, never <laughs> really put on screen. Uh, but yeah, that's all the trivia I had. Um, <laughs> nothing, nothing really much to uh, write home about with um, the Ace and the Hole trivia, but fucking good movie. Like, depressing good as movie. hell, but very good. I feel like we do this a lot when we have we have these films that we're like this is like really cleverly made and, and interesting good. and then we're like ah here's a 50 minute episode <laughs> yeah here's a yeah fucking under one hour episode because we're wildly unqualified to, to we are not analyze doing a film like this yeah yeah, yeah. If you want to, um, if you want to find a better film analysis, go go find some other <laughs> film critics. Go um, watch Red Letter Media. Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah, yeah, Red Letter Media. They yeah. The boys. Have they have they done something for Ace in the Hole? I don't know. Probably not. Probably but not. Because it's a, um, yeah, an older film. Probably not. They do they do old stuff, but they don't do as much. So right, uh, probably so. they could be delving into the archives uh, with the the current state of cinema, not being able to uh, be a, a usual cinema goer yeah one way to find out uh here's me vamping for the podcast so earlier today i had a coffee and while i was making the coffee a little bit of coffee spilt out did you find something john (laughs) yeah no there's nothing (laughs) (laughs) watch them anyway good boys um that's good doesn't seem relative uh relevant um yeah no i i feel like this is the kind of film that really really requires like someone to sit down and like because it feels like so much stuff is like connected and like metaphorical and yeah um reflecting real life in a certain way mm, mm. uh so yeah i i i think we should leave our opinions being it's good don't watch it if you're sad <laughs> the it's it, it's one of those ones where it has I've talked about um, Annihilation probably 8 billion times before. <laughs> when we get to it, it's going to be a good one. The metaphor that is there is pretty front and center and is pretty yeah. easy for, you know, some Muppets like us to kind of work out <laughs> without, you know, very much proper analysis. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. And yeah, we, we, we take on board the, the meaning and the, the purpose of the film. Uh, I think is yeah important that mm. we get what it's yeah trying to get across, which is probably uh, as you said, if uh, our stupid Muppet brains can wrap our heads around it, then I'm sure you can, dear listener. Yep. So yeah, on the other hand, I'll be glad to see the back end of this film because it bummed me the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why we haven't put it, uh, this is a shorter episode because John just wants to fucking put a put a stamp on this bitch and get the hell out of town. So 
Uh, we release episodes every week, every Tuesday, 12 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. That's 2 p.m. on a Monday, Greenwich Mean Time, 10 a.m. on a Monday, Eastern uh, Time, Daylight. and 7 a.m. on a Paci- uh, for our Pacific listeners, Daylight Time. Eastern Daylight Time. Eastern Daylight and then Pacific Daylight. I heard you like try to, you you could see that I was going to miss the daylight. So you were like, D- daylight, daylight, say daylight. Daylight, daylight. daylight. <laughs> say daylight. Um, if you want to get in contact with us directly, uh, you can email us at 250pod at gmail.com. And um, we also have little social media situations going on on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at 250pod. That is T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H-P-O-D. Uh, I think I forgot to mention that the Gmail is at Gmail, but now I'm doing it now at gmail.com. There you go. Um, Instagram is probably the best place to get in contact with us um, yep. or see what's going on with the podcast because we, we update that extremely regularly. The rest, yep. I've been a little slack because I've got lots of fucking marking to do for all my students. <laughs> He's a uni boy. Uh, a you uni can boy. listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Podcast Addict, Pocket Casts, Google Home, Amazon Echo, and wherever good podcasts are sold, you'll be able to find us. Uh, if I've, I'm generally... if. People are listening to podcasts on a platform that we don't know about and they can't find us on there. I kind of want them to write us and be like, yo, I looked you up on um, uh, 22 Skidoo and I couldn't find you. So, <laughs> And then I'm going to have to be like, oh, God, I'll call up John <laughs> immediately. And- We're going to ask those 22 Skidoo. <laughs> get, the, get the emergency control on the line. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to put that URL through. Um, we also have personal letterbox accounts. Letterboxd, uh, Letterboxd is a website uh, that's it's basically like a film diary. I, I, it's like mm. my electronic film diary where I kind where that. you can jot down uh, films that you have watched, keep track of all of the films that you've watched, ones that you enjoyed, uh, keep a watch list, as well as write reviews and uh, view other people's reviews. Mm. Like uh, ours. Yes, which Jonathan, where do you leave your reviews? Uh, I write short little reviews uh, at Upa, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. I write mine at I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, that's Enzo Knight. If you whack that into the uh, search engine, either Upa or Enzo Knight, you will be able to find us. I write more condensed reviews of what we do uh, here on the podcast, as well as anything else I forgot to talk about. Uh, mm. Because that happens very often. I'll uh, go away and I'll will I'll either edit the the episode or listen back to the episode and I'll go. Oh my god, I forgot to mention the thing. And then yeah, you will likely find that uh, extra tidbit of information over on Letterboxd. Extra little something something. Mm-hmm. And God knows I love me some something something. Yeah, this was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I had. I had a great time. time. Really, really good visuals, really good acting from the key actors. Yeah. Um, poignant story. Kurt nice, Douglas fucking sells it. I, nice I idiot proof metaphor. Mm. Sucks that it bums me out so much, but you know. <laughs> this is the, again, the common thread of the 250 uh, staying true. Uh, movies that Jonathan gets bummed out by? Zero out of five. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. <laughs> well, no, you Pretty enjoyed good. it. You enjoyed it, but you just don't like that it bummed you out. Yeah, exactly. It's not that I. It's not that I don't. You would have like liked the it. happier ending. Leo getting out no, of the mine. 
No, I probably wouldn't have. That's the thing. Like, I appreciated having the ending that it was intended to have. It just bummed me out. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes, Jonathan, life is a bit of a bummer. Life is a bit of a bummer. I do agree. And with that, thank you for tuning into the 250. We hope to see you really soon. Go go and hug a cat. If you're allergic Don't to cats, hug that's a cat. A they'll yeah, they'll hurt you. Yeah, they are. Hug a cat. They'll yeah, like they don't scratch like, they you. They don't like hugged. Okay, hug a dog. What do you Hug you, a dog. You, go hug a dog or unless you're allergic to dogs. Uh hug a tree. Yeah. I think that's actually good for you. Hugging a tree? I think there was like some study about like like the the mental state of people who like hugged a tree every day. <laughs> and I get, think it actually makes you feel like legitimately makes you feel good. You get right up to the source of the oxygen. You could just yeah, exactly. really inhale that. Oh. <laughs> and the tree's like, oh god. Ah, okay. Bye. <laughs> See you everyone. <laughs> and cut. <laughs> Strong ending.